0: It's time. Landerscott turned it over to Horvath, right to the slot, Pedersen scores! Is there anything this kid can't do for Locked On Canucks? Now Pedersen out the right wing side, saucer pass, left circle, Besser shoots and scores! It was good that Brock Lesnar got a goal. You're gonna be jinxing me! The kids continue to get it done with Justin Morissette. He's a weird dude, yeah. It's good to have weird dudes. Yes, that's right, your resident weird dude back at it again with another edition of Locked on Canucks. This is your Locked on Canucks for Tuesday, August the 4th. My name is Justin Morissette. My guest today is a now former managing editor of canucks army and a change that uh, went down since i last spoke to him you can now find him uh, as one of the hosts of roxy fever i guess the host of roxy fever (laughs) if if we want to get technical here i don't know how much uh uh, vias and elliot will appreciate that but hey (laughs) they're not on the show today it's jackson mcdonald making his triumphant return to locked on canucks jackson thank you so much for doing this man
1: Ah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be back. I should also mention, just as a plug, that uh, you can also find me at the Daily Hive Vancouver now, uh, at least for the course of the pandemic. Oh,
0: right, right on. And you're also yeah. writing a, at a Roxy Fever blog as well. But I don't, yes,
1: occasionally, yeah.
0: I don't know the exact uh, web URL on that one, so I did That's, not. Uh, yeah. I did not throw it out. I think it's like RoxyFever.wordpress. Fever dot WordPress.
1: It's just RoxyFever.com. com. Oh really? Oh, you yeah, you splurged. Yeah, it's, it's, I paid for the I paid for the domain, yeah, which is pretty funny because it's basically just a glorified Substack. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm around. I'm doing lots of things, and there's lots to talk about. So I should be doing lots of things.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And the number one thing we have to talk about is obviously uh, your firing from the site and just the the, the <laughs> dark cloud that has hung uh, yeah. over you since since then no uh you made the move to uh leave nation network by choice and i have a ton of respect for that because uh you, know, you wrote about it at length honestly that's one of the things people can find if they head on over to com yeah. right now
1: so yeah i sorry I, I i i'm i'm glad to hear you say that it was kind of a tough decision but i'm glad that people seem to respond to my reasons for respond well to for my reasons for leaving so uh, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, even your harshest critics who like insisted that you absolutely must have been fired, which is <laughs> such a galaxy brain take to me because they literally had just laid off their entire staff except you. Yep. Yeah, so, that's true. But... Like like not even four weeks earlier they had decided that you were so good, you were the only employee that they needed, period. <laughs> And yet people just, like, twisted themselves into a pretzel to believe that he he was fired for being negative. (laughs) Well,
1: that's that's Gooduck's Twitter for you, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, Jackson, obviously, there's more pressing things that we need to address here today. Uh, It is a a game day preview edition of the show because game two between the Canucks and Wild goes down later this evening, shortly after 7.30 p.m. Uh, But that's not the most important thing. That seems kind of like a back burner issue relative to the real meat that we need to dive into here, which is, of course settling out uh, the legendary bet that has now hung over our heads for more than a year. It's been 14 months since you and I uh, decided to make a wager $50 on the line uh, if the Canucks made the playoffs during the course of the conditions of the JT Miller trade. So a two-year window to make the playoffs – and uh, you know, some could say they're in the playoffs right now. Personally, as the one who made the bet and would stand to gain <laughs> fifty dollars if we did consider them in the playoffs right now, uh, I still do not consider them in the playoffs right now. Yeah,
1: I think I think it's that's a uh, debate, I guess, that you could have just in general. That it's and it's something that's been tripping me up uh, over the course of the start of this qualifying round here is that. They are referring to it as the playoffs. Like uh, Sidney Crosby scored, I think his 68th uh, career "quote unquote" playoff goal tonight, mm-hmm. and um, and the the broadcasters were saying, "Oh, he's now you know tied Gordy Howe's playoff record." And uh, it was frustrating because I just every time people mentioned this, or whether they were mentioning uh, Dominic Kubalik's uh, yeah, five point game or whatever, the, the
0: Kubalik one is the one that drives me insane.
1: Um, because it's it's they're saying oh it's the you know it's these playoff records or whatever and it just feels like it's not really true to the spirit of of what the playoffs actually are considering twenty four teams have have made it quote unquote and and obviously with regards to our bet uh, the outcome of of this series is going to determine the whether it's going to help determine the conditions on. Uh, that Miller pick in the first place. So even the NHL kind of is acknowledging that it's not really the playoffs. But I think to uh, for a, a more casual audience, it's like what do you call it? You know, uh, if you don't call it the playoffs, then it just starts to get too confusing. It's the
0: Stanley um, Cup qualifying round, which yeah, is completely yeah. different from the Stanley Cup playoffs.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a – it really is Schrodinger's playoff. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it both is and is not the playoff.
0: I was waiting for you to finish your answer there so that I could say that exact comment. (laughs) But, 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 like, I understand why they would do this because, like, what do you do with the goals and points that are scored – In this round, if you don't refer to them as playoffs, you would have to basically put them in like a phantom zone that we will never hear from again because there will never be, fingers crossed, the conditions that we are seeing at play right now to create this sort of situation ever again. So is it just like exhibition points? Because we don't really count preseason points. They're not really a recorded statistic necessarily at the end of someone's career. And in a way, this kind of does feel like the exhibition round of the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, But I'm hoping that that will change this evening because that's kind of been my takeaway from the game twos that we have seen thus far is that there is a a certain level of dislike now between the teams uh, who are going up against each other and that has led to intensity... And physicality, certainly, in these games that might have been missing from game one. Because, look, I had to listen to uh, Elliot Friedman, and I don't say I had to listen to it like it was torture. I I love listening to Elliot Friedman's weekly hits on Sportsnet 650, but this week he talked about the fact that that was big boy hockey. That was a nasty game, and this is going to be a (laughs) nasty series. And, you know, our friend Thomas Drance agreed with him and said that there was a good deal of nastiness and and dislike between those two teams in Game 1. Jackson, personally, man, I don't know what game those guys were watching because, yes, one (laughs) team might have had some playoff intensity, but it really felt like the Canucks were just sound asleep largely through much of game one.
1: I think that there's a a problem in this market with with the media and the fans where after a while, it, it can be really hard to kind of, I guess, situate yourself within the rest of the league and actually be able to look at what's in front of you objectively and and go oh this team is not very good or oh this game was not very physical because all you have to compare it to is just other Canucks games and I do think that if you are going to compare last night's game to a uh, regular outing between the Canucks and Minnesota Wild which have been historically snooze fests for as long as I can remember, dating back to the early 2000s, you know the Canucks landed a lot of hits, and there was the Furland spear, and we can get to that if you want or whatever. But it wasn't. It was. It just reminded me of of just any old game uh, from game 60 or so onward that we've watched the Canucks play for the last five years or so. So it didn't strike me as particularly mean or nasty, but there were at least a lot of hits, I guess. So maybe, maybe you just had to be in the building or something, but, uh, yeah, I agree. I'm not I'm not really sure what those guys were getting at there.
0: Especially when you look at, in particular, the duo of Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson, who, like, honestly could have just been asleep for the entire game. Like, both guys basically forgot how to play the puck, period, at all. Pearson took yeah. some unforgivable penalties. Toffoli, Toffoli was, like, taken off the line at times uh, and replaced by like Jay Beagle, to take (laughs) face-offs? Yep, (laughs) that's correct. Not a good sign when you're doing so poorly that coach is like, yeah, I can afford to take off one of my top wingers and replace him with a center who is so slow he probably should not be in the NHL any longer after (laughs) this season.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned Toffoli because um, something I wrote in my uh, sort of little recap of uh of game one uh for for offside was uh that last night was just really not a very good night for jim benning um because jt miller was fine but not great to foley had an awful game and uh Tyler Myers was easily their worst defender, at least in terms of on-ice, shot share, and expected goals. And then the team's, uh, you know, two of the team's top ten picks from the last five years, and their big free agent signing from 2016 were in the press box. So, uh, it just really, you want to talk about bad signs. Like, yeah, Beagle playing with... uh, (laughs) With Pedersen as a bad sign, but so was basically everything else that happened the other night.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I would hope I would hope that a performance like that, certainly in the case of the guys who are you know going to be leaned on as top six solutions in this series. And I, hell, I'll include Michael Ferland in that conversation sure. as well. Uh, as far as Tefoley, Pearson, and Ferland are concerned, you would hope a performance so. Alarmingly bad would be like injurious to their pride on some level, (laughs) and they would come out fired up to go. Like, you know, I'm not expecting a a Connor McDavid level game two performance where they throw the team on their back and have, you know, three hat tricks between the lot of them, but uh, you would want to see a little bit better. Certainly, then, like you know, especially a guy like Toffoli, who is on the cusp of being not just a free agent winger, but one of the top UFA's available on the market this summer. He should be playing for a contract right now. Uh, you know, there, there's there's multiple guys like that who should have an impetus to step up and do better. And, you know, you you want to expect, of course, that, uh, that Elias Pettersson is going to have some signature moments, that he's just so competitive that he's going to take over a game at some point and not allow himself to be outshone by Kevin Fiala. But, you know, at the same time, the Wild are just so smothering. And that has been a consistent issue for this Canucks team all year long. You know, I was talking to J.D. Burke on the show yesterday and saying uh, even when they were rolling, even at their hottest peaks all season long, if they caught a team that played a defensive structured system, not even a good team, just a team that had structure, they were going to have trouble. And when I look at Minnesota and the things they do well and the the way they're coached by Dean Evison, You know, I don't want to be an alarmist and say this team is, you know, headed for a sweep here. This is not going to go well because I want them to wake up, and I, as a viewer, want to wake up and enjoy watching the games as well. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but I don't have a lot to go on that that's actually something that might happen here.
1: Yeah, I found myself uh, wondering as as I finished up the game um, the other night. I found myself wondering if I had overthought everything heading into the series because on a surface level, really, if you don't, if you just go with the simplest answer, wild were good heading into the, uh, the end of the season there before the, before the pandemic scuttled everything and the Canucks were really bad. And most of the modeling had the wild winning that series but, you know, naively, I sort of thought to myself, well, the Canucks have all this star power, and everyone's going to be healthy from resting, and they they traditionally play really well uh, at the start of the season. So, you know, I thought that uh, maybe this would maybe this would go well for them. Maybe all these weird sort of factors that are difficult to account for, uh, we're going to shake down in their favor. But really now, looking at it, I think to myself, you know, is it really that hard to, to believe that the Canucks, this team that basically uh, their only real strength is just that they have two or three real sort of game-breaking talents that can capitalize on mistakes. Is it really that surprising that they would struggle against a team that just doesn't give up a lot? And the answer is no. It shouldn't be that surprising. But I think, you know, this is the first Canucks team we've seen in a while that does have something resembling real talent on it. And once again, I think it's a bit of an issue of being able to situate yourself within the rest of the NHL. And, you know, you can convince yourself at times, if you've only watched Canucks hockey for the, for the past few years, that this team is pretty good. But the, when you're in a playoff esque situation like this one, it really heightens uh, the areas where they've struggled And the Canucks are kind of a sloppy team and you can't really afford to be sloppy in a situation where you're playing the same team nights in a row and they have this kind of opportunity to figure you out over the course of the series. And it looks like Minnesota's already got them figured out, which is a really bad sign.
0: Yeah. And, you know, to circle back a little bit to, to Michael Furland, who I, I brought up there as, you know, being one of the guys who, who needs to step up, I feel foolish kind of thinking that he was going to be an X Factor in this series. And not just because, you know, uh, we watched him do it in the playoffs against us five years ago. I was just. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is a guy who should be playing for his career on some level right now. Is coming back in a position where he can be a real difference maker playing down the lineup. This guy was signed, again, he was signed to be an Elias Petterson winger. They they had designs on putting Michael Furland on, on their number one line coming into the season. Uh, back when JT Miller was still penciled in as a Bo Horvat winger, and of course... Yeah all sorts of things have happened in between now and then but i i just looked at his inclusion in the lineup heading into the series as as a as a wild kind of x factor you know this this uh possibility that he could be somebody who would be playing at another level playing out of his mind and, and also uh you know giving this team much needed scoring depth from from below the top 6 if they were going to put him in a top 9 role which they did and and honestly like he he i th- I was expecting somebody to be playing for their hockey life, and instead it seemed like he went out there and was trying to be put back on the shelf almost immediately <laughs> like is well, this guy just know, stupid like what like come on
1: <laughs> I mean that is really like i think something that people do have to kind of consider a little bit uh just you know it's it's I saw a lot of people kind of trying to blame the league and the team for, oh, why is you know furland out there fighting and it's just like at this point with all the concussion issues that he's had, I, it, if he wants to fight, that's on him. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 I think after a certain point, you have to just wonder, like, maybe this guy's just not the, not the, maybe he's just got a poor sense of self-preservation or whatever. But, you know, I'll give him one thing, which is that when I think about Canucks from uh, Canucks performances in game one, And I think about who was noticeable. Michael Furland was probably the most noticeable Canuck on the team. He was noticeable for bad reasons, like, you know, spearing Ryan Hartman, who was on the bench.
0: Not even the guy who was holding his stick.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But, I mean, at least it seemed like he was trying to do something in a game where uh, you might say at times it looked like the Canucks lacked passion. He at least had it, but uh, he just decided to execute in, in probably the worst way possible. And, you know, now I find myself wondering if, if he's going to stay in the lineup or not. I mean, I thought he was going to get suspended. I was surprised that he just got a fine. But um, it, especially with, you know, the guys I mentioned before who are in the, uh, in the press box for game one, you do have to wonder if there's going to be some movement there in the bottom six and some guys coming out of the lineup to, to shake things up.
0: Yeah, and I know I just kind of uh, wagged my finger at him, but I, in defense <laughs> of Michael Ferland for choosing to uh, engage in that fight pretty early in the first period, uh, I, th- I think you know maybe this is just like the wrestling brain in me, but I, I fully understand the need for a guy to go out and in his return to action. Push himself to the physical limit of the most extreme thing he will be required to do just to prove even to himself mentally is a mental thing uh, entirely for him. That he can do that, and it won't stop him and once you get that out of the way you 're comfortable to feel the way that you normally do and play the way that you normally would i i think I, mean, that, I think that's like very valid, but I also think it's a completely stupid and insane decision as well ab-
1: absolutely i mean the big the, the big issue with it is obviously that fighting doesn't have a a tangible effect on the game and but at the same time, you know I saw people kind of uh, to borrow a term from you, sort of wagging their finger at him, and I did think to myself, you know, I'm sorry, but if the guy's too afraid to fight, and that's the thing that he does, it's not like every, you know, every player goes out and fights, but Furlan does. He's been known to do that. And if he's too afraid to fight, he's going to be too afraid to get his bell rung. And if he's too afraid to get his bell rung, then he's not going to be effective. Just the style of play that he plays. So at that point, I, I really do think it was just as simple as he went out there. He fought to prove to himself that he could do it. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't even the dumbest thing he did in that <laughs> game. It, it was the, only the second dumbest thing that he did. But I, I you know, I, I give him credit. Like I said, just just for trying. He clearly wants to be back and he wants to uh, make a, make an impact. And I, I really got to question the decision making. But. Uh, it's something, at least, in in a game where the Canucks really weren't giving us much of anything.
0: Yeah, and honestly listening to you just talk about what he would be scared of or the criticisms that he might face if he uh, didn't go out and play the way that he always played, that was the exact criticism levied at Sven Berchi back in preseason. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think it was accurate. I thought it was completely nope. made up, honestly, but that is what they said about him, and that is what basically has severed the relationship between this organization Mm -hmm. and a guy who could be a very useful depth piece at the NHL level, a guy who opted out of even being a part of this return to play. You know, in part, I'm sure because he has a young child and probably had concerns about his family, but I would imagine largely because this team treated him like shit all year. And why on earth would you ever put yourself in a possibility into a situation where you might get COVID-19? all to assist a team that did everything to sink your dreams all year long.
1: Frustrating, too, because, uh, I mean, it kind of looked like the Canucks could have used him in that game, just in the sense that, you know, it's never a good idea to think that that skill or or scoring ability is a redundancy because because you never know when you're going to have a game like the Canucks did uh, in game one where they, just couldn't get anything going. So you know, considering how many play, you know, how many players have been on the bubble and how many players haven't uh, really performed, how didn't perform up to snuff in game one. Um, you do kind of wonder what the thought process is there. But obviously, that's a long time ago, and I'm not going to spend a long time relitigating it. But uh, it is interesting and a little bit puzzling uh, when you see just how shockingly bad they were in their first uh, sort of high leverage situation that we've seen from this core, uh, from this, you know, nucleus of, of Canucks players. It's sort of baffling, really, I
0: guess. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. This is something that J.D. and I talked about on the show yesterday. When you look at, like, some of the best scoring chances that the Canucks had in that game, They come off the stick of Brandon Sutter. They come off the stick of Tyler Mott. The fourth line was the only line, really, that had room to create out there, it seemed like, because, uh, you know, otherwise the, the guys were just being stifled in anything that they were trying to do, which, in turn, sort of sets the stage for the... Uh, re-entry of Jake Vertanen into this lineup because I I fully understood Travis's decision. I really went to bat hard for him on the show last week uh, on Thursday because people were just losing their minds that how could you take this guy out of the lineup? Yeah, he gives you 18 goals but his deficiencies really really hurt you in ways that are going to be very, very noticeable uh, in the playoffs and that might still be true but also I'd kind of rather have him him out there generating fourth-line chances uh, than a a Jay Beagle, for example, or a, a Brandon Sutter, as it were. So, uh, I mean, there's a there's a very easy uh, entry for uh, redemption here for, for Jake Virtanen.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, just from a business standpoint, you can sell your fans scratching Jake Virtanen in Game 1 when other players have played better in camp and... It's a high leverage situation, and no one quite knows exactly what's going to happen after the performance in in Game One. Though I think it would be hard to sell that to your fan base again because no one played well. So at the, and no one scored. So at that point, keeping a guy who had 18 goals in in the press box is kind of a tough sell. Even though I, I completely agree with you, I think the decision made perfect sense under the circumstances especially when you consider um, that the team has to dress a certain amount of penalty killers yeah, and that the, the top six is, is set. And so it really, they only had a, a few spots open for a guy like Jake Bertanen and Perland and McEwen were just better in camp. So what do you do at that point? You're just going to reward a guy for, for coming into camp and not really looking like he wants to be there. But now, at this point, it's just they have to try something different. And I think it would be, it would not be well received if they didn't at least try Vertanen. And then if it doesn't work uh, in, in game two, or even if he just doesn't play particularly well, then you can look elsewhere. You can look to Louis or, or to McEwen or something just to continue to shake things up. But I, I think. With the performance that the Canucks gave in Game One, you have to expect Jake Vertanen back in the lineup now. Honestly, there's just no real way they can they can do anything else at this point.
0: And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, if we see Louis Erickson enter the lineup for Game Two as well tonight, because you know you mentioned the penalty kill, and that is definitely a consideration as to why someone like Sutter or Mott was in the lineup over Vertanen. And I would imagine that penalty killing still is going to be top of mind for Travis Green because... He gave up nothing at five on five uh, in yeah. Game One on Sunday night. I mean, he gave up; his team gave up a ton of chances, and Jacob Markstrom had to be sensational, certainly uh, early in the first period, into the you know the opening ten minutes of that game. Uh, but in terms of goals surrendered, it's two power play goals in an empty netter. Like you, you need to focus on that penalty kill, and if you also want to add perhaps a little bit of scoring touch, I know that feels like slightly <laughs> sarcastic talking about Louis Erickson, but he does. Kind Kind of fill those roles, the things that were missing perhaps from the team uh, on Sunday night. You know, I I don't want to say that Louis Erickson is a soothing balm who can you know uh, just to take care of everything that ailed the Canucks in Game One, but he does help certainly. And uh, and I don't know, it it wouldn't surprise me to see let's say Beagle come out of the lineup and uh, and and possibly, heck, I mean, I guess you couldn't take Beagle. And uh, Godet both out because Sutter. Can't... No, but I, I would not be surprised to see a
1: move like that made a center for for Eriksson. Just due to the simple fact that the, the penalty kill, uh, it was a focus for Travis Green heading into Game One, but mm-hmm. the penalty kill wasn't very good. Yeah, so I, I would definitely, I would almost say, I, I, I almost, I think there's almost as good of a chance that erickson draws in for game two as Vertanen, just simply to shake things up on uh on the penalty kill and then also maybe get somebody who gives you a little bit more at even strength than a beagle or a sutter um and or maybe just gives you a little bit more uh defensive responsibility than uh, a who was unfortunately not particularly good in game one and that's not a He's still young, and that's not an indictment of, of Adam Gaudet as a player, but he, he just wasn't good in game one,
0: unfortunately. And his game was coming along over the course of this season, but I think it's a lot to ask to come off a break when you're a player who is his age, who's had the kind of development that he's had this year, and be asked to play uh, you know, top even top nine minutes in an yeah. NHL playoff game. I don't think it's outrageous to... Uh, look at the way he got just caved in and not feel uh, like this is the end of the world for him necessarily. But then I'm 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 at a loss as far as what the move would be with the lineup if Travis uh, did want to make multiple changes because the two guys who got crushed to such an extent that I think they should come out are Godet and Beagle, and you can't take two centers <laughs> yeah. out of this lineup because Sutter can only fill in for one of them, and even him playing center is uh, a risky proposition, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, so.
1: I honestly... Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if Sutter it, draws out. Um, not, not, and he wasn't the problem uh, the other night, but I just wouldn't be surprised if they they give that a shot. Have Louis come in just for the sake of shaking things up. Because after after the performance they they gave in their first game, you have to make radical changes. Because whatever they were doing, it was not working.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is supposed to be a game day preview, Jackson, but it's kind of impossible to do that because we have no idea what the projected lineup is going to look like tonight because we have no idea what lines have been in practice. And I know that was a big uh, spot of controversy heading into this tournament. I thought it was uh, a little bit overblown, perhaps, on the media side. No offense to Jeff Patterson, who is a friend of the show, and I totally understand his point that Uh, What we learn from line rushes in practice actually does power a lot of the talk around town, certainly what comes from sports talk media and then affects the discourse among fans online. I totally understand that argument, and I just thought it was a little bit overblown, but as we're into the series now, lineup adjustments are you know the number one story heading into game two, and we have no idea what it's going to look like because there's nobody there to watch it
1: yeah I, I and I don't like it. I just I, there's a lot of issues I have with it. I just think uh as a general rule with anything, I like transparency with the media, not because I trust the media to get everything hundred percent right, but because I know what their deal is
0: and you don't trust the um, NHL to report on itself
1: no exactly, and it's not a precedent I would accept in any arena whether it's whether it's sports or business or politics or anything you, you have to have even if it's woefully inadequate you have to have some kind of independent third party uh institution that can report on things in a it just in a way as to make sure that there's at least some sort of separation between just a, a company giving you their version of what the news is um so, you know, I haven't liked that there haven't been reporters inside the bubble. And I also haven't liked that uh, the that Travis Green has decided to not make the line rushes public. And, and I understand why he does it. And I think from uh, the perspective of the Canucks, whether it's the front office or the team or whatever, I think they probably like that he's not doing it because it gives them... You can at least see how it could give them a competitive advantage. Oh, for sure. I don't know if it would have much of an actual effect, but you can make the case that it would that it gives them a competitive advantage. But just as an observer, as a fan, uh, as somebody who wants to uh, help sell the game, I, 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 I and as somebody who's on Twitter constantly, like Twitter was so quiet heading into Game One. And it's their first "quote unquote" playoff game in five years.
0: It's not, and and stop calling it that.
1: Well, you know what I mean. But it's the closest thing that they've that they've seen in five years. It's their first postseason hockey in five years, whatever you want to call it. Um, And uh, it should be a big deal. And and it's you know I remember the day before the game. It was like just silent online because there was nothing to talk about. And could you imagine? Uh, how many, you know, I I, I, we have friends who write for The Athletic. Can you imagine how many uh, subscriptions they probably could have sold just off of Jake Furtan and being scratched for game one?
0: Or, like, or even uh, him drawing in in practice this morning. You
1: absolutely, know? yeah. It's bad business um, for us, anyways. I'm sure it's, you know, I, I'm sure the Canucks have their reasons for doing it, but I just don't, I'm, selfishly, I don't like
0: it. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I think what's, you can say that that's a selfish interest and I totally understand where you're coming from, but the NHL also needs to understand that what's bad business for the media that covers them is bad business for the league as well.
1: Ultimately, that's probably the case. Yeah.
0: And like, I understand what you're saying about Travis Green trying to exercise any sort of competitive advantage he possibly can. But let's be real. Coming off of Game One, I don't think Dean Everson needs to see the lineup to know he can stop it. Yes, yeah, I agree. But you do touch on an interesting point there, Jackson, that I do want to hit on before we wrap up here, and that is the fact that uh, you know the Canucks' Twitter experience is not what you would expect it to be right now. And I'm waiting uh, or wondering if people are just kind of dipping their toes in at the moment and are only going to go whole hog on being all in on this team. Uh, once they're actually in the opening round of the playoffs and have made it through the qualifiers, assuming they do. I just, you know, not to get overly negative and lean into your public (laughs) perception, Yeah, but but let's say, Jackson, let's just imagine, if we will, uh, a scenario in which the Canucks lose game two tonight and Mm -hmm. go down 0-2 in the series and basically can be safely written off as not having a chance to come back and win it. Uh, th- you when we talked about this being Schrodinger's playoffs I, I do feel like the same sort of thing that we see play out with regards to the World Junior Tournament every year and Canada fans is likely to play out here with Canucks fans where when Canada wins the World Juniors it's amazing it's the greatest thing that's ever happened when Canada loses the World Juniors we all just like collectively shrug and are like well I never cared about that anyways <laughs> <You know? laughs> And, Absolutely, and that's kind of what I'm expecting. Like, if the Canucks go down zero and two, people will just like tune out and be like, "Ah, this isn't real. This was never real, anyways. Who cares? This is all a fake playoff, so on, et cetera. I'm really curious to see uh, the way the market might react to that, and uh, and and if people just completely buy in, if the Canucks not only you know win a game but even score a single goal here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's fa- it's kind of fascinating because. I think that this particular, the way that this season in particular unfolded for the Canucks is so kind of frustrating for anyone who was maybe looking for closure because at this, really, after what I saw in game one, I just felt so vindicated on everything that I have been saying for the past, certainly the past season, um, which is just that this team's not particularly good. They're basically four uh, really good players and a bunch of guys. And that they, they really, the again, just going back to that situating yourself within, within the league, that most of the people who watch this team only think the Canucks are any good because they haven't watched good hockey in something like at least seven years. And... So it's, it's, I don't blame people for feeling a little bit checked out because that is kind of how they should feel. They should, they should feel a little bit like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, we've seen this play out so many times where the Canucks have a team that we know in our hearts is not a competitive playoff caliber team but oh you know maybe if everything shakes out right maybe if they get lucky maybe if somebody plays above their head they can make a little bit of noise and we can see some playoff hockey again you know i just think fans have seen that three or four times now with this uh this regime and they have no reason to to believe it anymore and and at this point it's like i think the i think the front office and the coaching staff has improved in terms of the kind of players that they're targeting and the kind of moves that they're making. But at this point they need to regain the market's trust uh, at least amongst a lot of fans. And it's going to take more than the NHL arbitrarily deciding that uh, teams that were probably on track to miss the playoffs are now suddenly in this weird Frankenstein qualifier round for fans to, to care, especially when uh, there's so much other stuff to to focus your attention on right now in terms of, it's certainly not uh, the kind of mindless entertainment that hockey provides, but just, you know, people have uh, have worries and fears and anxieties, and if, uh, if the hockey's not going to be particularly good and they don't have any reason to really trust the process, then uh, I don't really blame people for People who aren't obsessed like you and I are to, uh, for checking out. You
0: know? Yeah, and And honestly, man, even as someone who is obsessed, even as someone who very much rates hockey above basketball in my yeah. overall preferences, having watched the return to play of both leagues over the past weekend – uh, it's no question that the basketball was way more compelling and better and closer to what real basketball looks like. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. that's that was my big issue. I watched every game on Saturday. I watched half of them on Sunday. I've watched a number of them on Monday as well. Only Calgary and Winnipeg game two and maybe a little bit of Chicago-Edmonton game two actually felt like real playoff action to me this does not feel real and it's hard to invest in it when it, it doesn't feel that way. But uh, you know what? Speaking of investments, Jackson, I will possibly let you know right now that you can you can keep that $50 in your pocket. <laughs> you will not owe me in the end because I feel like we settled on a condition that it had to be the Canucks making the playoffs at the conclusion of an 82-game regular season. We yeah. are not getting this this year. We probably are not getting it next year as well. I think it's safe to say we can uh, put this Bet to rest, and even if uh, you know we didn't get a winner in the end, in the end we are all winners because you and I certainly milked a ton of content out of it.
1: I did it all for the content, baby. <laughs> yeah, and just on a on a final note on that too, uh, I just feel like that whole situation and the point that I was trying to make when the trade happened is just sort of on pause, and I look forward to um. I I, I guess what I'll say is I took a lot of L's over the course of this season because of how well J.T. Miller played, but I do feel as though even if the trade ends up working out in their favor, my outlook on the process is going to be vindicated in the future over the next few years, especially if... uh, the Canucks continue to play like they did the other night against the (laughs) Wilds.
0: I I do not uh, disagree, my friend. There is one more topic that I would love to get into with you, but we've already gone uh, into overtime (laughs) here. Maybe you and I can have that conversation after we go off the air here, and I'll plug it into another episode later in the week. How about that? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. All right. So you can look forward to more Jackson McDonald later in the week when we go into extra bonus time in just a second here. Uh, But in the meantime, Jackson, thank you so much for doing this, man. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. You're very welcome. There he is, Jackson McDonald of Roxy Fever. You can look forward to a little bit more between the two of us later in the week. But in the meantime, enjoy tonight's Game 2 between the Canucks and Wild. And, of course, I will be back tomorrow to break it all down for you. In the meantime, if you want to head on over to uh, the Apple Podcasts app and leave me a, uh, a rating or a review in their store. It gives us a little boost in the algorithms. I would love it if you would do that. Uh, or tell someone that you know who might enjoy the show that the show is back and that uh, it exists and you like it and they might like it too. That's always good too. Uh, until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.